Starve the Empress, Sitara Gesera, by Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, the Promised Messiah and the Mahdi, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Jamaat, whom be peace. All praise belong to Allah. It is to Him that we offer gratitude. This auspicious booklet cites the blessings of Her Majesty, the Empress, may her prosperity endure and mentions that in the time of Her Majesty's tranquil reign and due to the influence of her resplendent star, countless earthly and heavenly blessings have been manifested. Let it be known that in keeping with these reasons, the following booklet had been entitled Star of the Empress. About the author Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed salam was born in 1835 in Gardian, India. From his early life, he dedicated himself to prayer and the study of the Holy Quran, as well as other scriptures. He was deeply pained to observe the plight of Islam, which was being attacked from all directions. In order to defend Islam and present his teaching in the pristine purity, he wrote 91 books, thousands of letters and participated in many religious debates. He argued that Islam is a living faith which can lead man to establish communion with God and achieve moral and spiritual perfection. Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad started experiencing divine dreams, visions, revelations at a young age. This communication from God continued to increase and he announced that God had appointed him to be the same reformer of the latter days as prophesied by various religions under different titles. He also claimed to be the promised Messiah and Mahdi whose advent had been prophesied by the Holy Prophet May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. In 1889, under the divine command, he started accepting initiation into the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, which is now established in more than 200 countries. After his demise in 1908, the institution of Khilafat was established to succeed him in fulfillment of the prophecy made in the Holy Quran that Allah the Almighty would establish Khilafat successorship among the Muslims. Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmad Ayyahud al bin Nasr al-Aziz is the fifth successor to the Promised Messiah and the present head of the Ahmadiyya community. To the Magnificent Queen, Her Majesty, the Empress of India and England, May Allah make her prosperity endure. First and foremost, I pray that may the God of Omnipotence immensely bless the life of Her Majesty, the Queen of India, and increase her in prosperity, in rank and grandeur, and grant her the delight of her eyes by affording security to her sons and dear ones. After this, the writer of this submission, Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of Gardian, who lives in a small village of the Punjab named Gardian, 
which is situated approximately 70 miles from Lahore in the northeast corner of the district of Gurdaspur, submits that in general most inhabitants of this country possess emotions of apposite love and sincere obedience for Her Majesty may her prosperity endure according to their individual degrees of perception, insight and gratitude. This stems from the comforts they are enjoying due to Her Majesty, the Queen of India, sense of fairness for all, benevolence to her subject and administration of justice and also on account of those peace policies and plans for the well-being of her subjects of all social strata which have materialized at the expense of millions of rupees through immeasurable generosity there is the exception of a small minority of people who i believe also exist in hiding and live like savages and beasts however due to the understanding and knowledge that I possess in relation to the rights owed to this noble government and which I have already expounded in my book Dofoe Gasseria, A Gift for the Queen. This humble one holds such a high degree of sincerity, love and fervour for obedience for Her Majesty and for her noble officials that I do not have the words with which to express this sincerity. Enthused by this very true affection and sincerity on the celebration of the 60th Jubilee, I wrote a book addressed to Her Majesty, the Empress of India. May her prosperity endure. I titled it Dofai Gesseria, a gift for the Queen, and dispatched it as a humble gift to Her Majesty. I was most certain that I would be honoured with a response and this would be a source of my exaltation beyond expectation. The basis of this hope and certainty were the high moral standards of Her Majesty, the Empress of India, which are renowned in all the countries of the East and like Her Majesty's Kingdom are so unparalleled in their extent and breadth that it is impossible to find their similitude but anywhere else. Nevertheless, I am extremely surprised that I was not even obliged with a single royal word. My conscience does not accept on any account that if my humble offering, that is, the book, Dofai Gesseria, a gift for the Queen, had been presented to Her Majesty, the Empress, I would not have been obliged with a reply. Most certainly, there must be some other reason which has nothing to do with the will, choice and knowledge of Her Majesty, the Empress of India, may her prosperity endure. Hence, the favourable view that I hold for Her Majesty has compelled me once again to draw attention of Her Majesty towards this gift, that is, Tofai Gesseria, a gift for the Queen, so that I might derive joy from a few words of royal approval. It is for the purpose that I dispatch this submission. I hereby venture to submit a few words to Her Majesty. The Honoured Empress of India 
may her prosperity endure. I belong to a noble Mughal family of the Punjab, and prior to the Sikh reign, my ancestors were rulers of an independent state. My great-grandfather, Mirza Gul Muhammad, was such a wise, sagacious, valiant and virtuous person with skills of governance that when the sovereignty of the Jukdai kings of Delhi fell weak due to the inability, decadence, indolence and lack of determination, certain courtiers undertook efforts for him to ascend the throne of Delhi for he possessed all the characteristics associated with the intelligence and benevolence for his subjects. He was also from a royal family. However, since the fate of the reign of the kings of Delhi was all but consumed, this proposal did not gain widespread approval. Many atrocities were committed against us during the reign of the Sikhs, and our ancestors were evicted from all the villages of the state. Not a moment was spent in peace. Our entire state was mixed to dust before the auspicious rule of the British could step in, and only five villages remained. My father, the late Mirza Ghulam Murtaza, who had faced great misfortune during the reign of the Sikhs, awaited the British rule like a thirsty person who longs for water. When the British government assumed rule of this country, he was so overjoyed by this blessing, i.e. by the establishment of the British government, that it was if he had discovered a treasure trove. He was a great well-wisher and devotee of the British government. It is for this reason that he provided 50 mounted horses to the British government as assistant during the mutiny of 1857. Even afterwards, he was always remained vigilant, so that if his assistance was ever required, he would most willingly afford it to this government. Had the mutiny of 1857 went on any further, he was prepared to provide the help of up to an additional hundred cavalrymen. In short, this is the manner in which his life was spent. After his demise, his humble one detached himself completely from worldly matters and became occupied with God the Exalted. The service that I have rendered in support of the British government is that I arranged for the publication of a quantity of approximately 50,000 books, journals and posters, which were then distributed throughout the country as well as in other Islamic countries. These were published on the subject that British government is well-wisher for us. The Muslim, therefore, it should be the obligation of each and every Muslim to be truly obedient to this government and be sincerely grateful for this good fortune and continue to supplicate for it. I wrote these books in various languages 
namely Urdu, Persian and Arabic, and distributed them throughout the Muslim world. So much so, they were even published widely throughout Mecca and Medina, the two sacred cities of Islam. Moreover, they were distributed in Constantinople, the capital of the Byzantine Empire, in Syria, Egypt, Kabul, and in other cities of Afghanistan. Insofar as possible, as a result, hundreds of thousands of people gave up their false notion on jihad, which had taken root in their hearts due to the teachings of ignorant mullahs. I take pride in the fact that no other Muslim in British India was able to match the service, which came to pass through me. I do not deem this 22-year service of mine as being a favour upon this benevolent government, for I acknowledge that with the coming of this government, we and our ancestors were delivered from a burning iron furnace. It is for this reason that along with all my dear ones, I raise my hands and supplicate, O oh God, keep this August, Empress of India, may her sovereignty endure, safe and may she reign long over us, and let the shade of your succour protect her at every step and prolong the days of her prosperity. These were the circumstances, services and prayers that I earlier submitted in Tofai Kasariya, a gift for the Queen, which was sent to Her Majesty, the Empress of India. In view of Her Majesty's innumerable moral qualities, every day I remained hopeful to receive a reply and I continue to maintain this hope. I believe it impossible that if the humble gift of a well-wisher such as myself, which was a book written with immense sincerity from the depth of my heart, had been presented to Her Majesty, the Empress of India, may her prosperity endure, it would not have brought forth a response. On the contrary, indeed, it would have arrived, indeed it would have arrived, therefore, I am compelled to write this submission as a reminder due to the immense confidence I hold in the gracious morals of the Empress of India. This submission is not a mere composition of the pen. Rather, my heart has compelled the hand to write this letter of goodwill with the strength of certainty. I pray that God the Exalted may cause this letter to reach Her Majesty, the Empress of India. May her prosperity endure at a time of peace, security and joy. Furthermore, that he inspired the heart of Her Majesty to recognise with her pure insight the true affection and sincerity that I have in my heart for her revered self. She, by virtue of her benevolence, obliges me with a considerate reply. I have also been commissioned to convey the glad tidings to Her Majesty, the magnificent Empress of India, 
that just as on earth and through worldly means, God the Exalted, with his infinite mercy and perfect wisdom, has established the rule of her majesty in this country and abroad, so that he may fill the world with justice and peace. Similarly, from the unseen, he has himself ordained in heaven the establishment of a spiritual system in her auspicious reign, so that the heartfelt objectives of our august queen, the Empress of India, may be fulfilled and supported, which are to promote justice, peace and the welfare of mankind. The eradication of disorder, reformation of morals and the removal of savage conditions. This shall nurture with heavenly water the garden of peace, security and goodwill that she wishes to plant in accordance with his eternal promise. With respect to the advent of the promised Messiah, he has sent me from the heaven, so that the spirit of the man of God, who was born in Bethlehem and brought up in Nazareth, I may engage myself in assisting with the good and blessed objectives of Her Majesty. He has anointed me with countless blessings, and has appointed me as his Messiah, so that from the heaven he may himself support Her Majesty in her pure ambitions. O blessed Empress, may God protect you, gladden our hearts, with your long life, prosperity and success. The advent of the promised Messiah in your reign, which is filled with the light of sincerity, is a testimony from God that you excel all other monarchs in your love for peace, good governance, compassion towards your subjects, and injustice and equity. Both Muslims and Christians believe in the forthcoming advent of the promised Messiah. However, they state that he shall appear in an era and time when the wolf and the lamb will feed together and children will play with serpents. Thus, O August Empress, this refers to your era and reign. One who has eyes may see and one who is free from prejudice may understand. Your Majesty, it is your reign alone which has gathered beasts and meek birds in one place. The honest who are like children interact with mischievous serpents. They have no fear under your peaceful patronage. Which other reign could be more powerful than yours, in which the promised Messiah would come? O August Empress, your pure ambitions draw in divine succour, and due to the magnetism of your good intentions, the heaven continues to lean towards the earth with mercy. Hence there is no other reign other than your own, which would be appropriate for the advent of the promised Messiah. Thus, God has sent down a light from the heavens during your luminous era, because light draws in light, while darkness attracts darkness. O August, the Honourable Queen of the Age, clear indications of your peaceful reign 
are found in the books which allude to the advent of the promised Messiah. However, it is essential for the promised Messiah to appear in the world, just as Elijah, prophet Elijah, came as a manifestation of Johanna, John the Baptist. That is, in his essence, the disposition. Johanna became a liar in the sight of God. The same happened here, in that a person has been vested with the essence and disposition of Esau, Jesus, whom be peace, in your blessed error. This is why he has been named the Messiah. His advent was certain because it is not possible for God's holy scriptures of the past to prove false. Your Majesty, O pride of all her subjects, it is the custom of God, since time immemorial, that if the sovereign of the time is well intentioned and desires the welfare of his subjects, then in accordance with his power he has fully instituted a system for public peace and goodness, and his heart is empathetic for the public to make pious transformations. Divine mercy becomes indolent for him in heaven. A spiritual man is sent to earth according to the sovereign's strength and desire. The birth of such a perfect reformer is brought about by the pure intent courage and universal sympathy of that just ruler. This comes to pass when an equitable ruler is born as an earthly saviour and owing to his extraordinary courage and sympathy for mankind, he naturally requires a heavenly saviour. This is what occurred at the time of the Messiah, on whom be peace, because Caesar, the Roman emperor, of the time was a good person and was averse to cruel cruelty on earth. Moreover, he sought the welfare and salvation of the people. He was then that the God of heaven raised a light, giving moon from the land of Nazareth, Isa, Jesus the Messiah, so that just the word Nazareth signifies verdure, freshness, and greenery in Hebrew. The same could be instilled in the hearts of people. O oh, our dear Empress of India, may God grant you long life, your goodness of intent and sincere sympathy for your subjects is no less than that of the Caesar of Rome. In fact, we forcefully state that it is far greater than his because there is a multitude of poor subjects under you, with whom your majesty wishes to be sympathetic. The manner in which you desire the benefit of your humble subjects in every respect, and the manner in which you have demonstrated examples of your philanthropy and benevolence to your subjects, are such excellent qualities and blessings as are not found in any of the previous monarchs. Therefore, your words, which are completely imbued with goodness and beneficence, 
above all require that just as your majesty is compassionate about the salvation welfare and comfort of all your subjects and as you are engaged in initiatives for benevolence towards your subjects god in heaven too may assist you therefore this promised messiah who has come to the world is but one outcome of your blessed person sincere good intention and true sympathy during your reign god has remembered the grieved people of the world and he has sent his messiah from heaven he was born in your kingdom and in your empire so that this may serve as a testimony to the world that the dispensation of justice in your dominion has attracted the dispensation of justice in heaven towards itself your or dispensation of grace has generated a dispensation of grace in heaven as the coming of this messiah serves as a final judgment in the world on the distinction between truth and falsehood it is for this reason that the promised messiah is called hagam arbiter just as the word nazareth alludes to the era of freshness and verdure the village of the promised messiah was called islampur gadi maji in this manner the word gadi judge could make an indication towards the final arbiter of god through whom god's chosen one would be given the glad tidings of eternal grace furthermore this would also serve as a subtle indication towards the name of the promised messiah which is hakam arbiter this village was named islampur qadimaji at the time of king babur when a large area of the region of maj was conferred upon my ancestors to govern gradually this rule became a self-governing state and due to common usage the word gadi changed into gadi which later turned into gadian hence the words nazareth and islampur gadi are most meaningful names one of them denotes spiritual verdure while the other infers spiritual arbitration which was the task of the promised messiah your majesty empress of india may god bless your life with honor and happiness how blessed is your reign the hand of god supports your objectives from heaven angels are beautifying the pathways of your benevolence for your subjects and your good intention the exquisite vapors of your justice are rising like clouds so that they may turn the entire country into the envy of springtime mischievous is such a person who does not value your reign and wretched is that one who is not grateful for your favors since it is a matter of certainty that there is an affinity between hearts i have no need to employ verbosity in order to express that i have sincere affection for you and in particular there is a love and high regard for you in my heart
our prayers for you continue night and day in the likeness of flowing water. We are not your subjects due to harsh political pressures. Rather, our hearts are drawn towards you because of your countless qualities. O auspicious Queen of India, blessed be your greatness and good name. God watches over the country that you oversee. The hand of God's mercy rests upon the subjects of whom you are a guardian. Moved by your pure intention, God has sent me so that I may once again establish the ways of virtue, pure morals and reconciliation. Your Majesty, Empress of India, I have been informed by God the Exalted that a fault exists in both Muslims and Christians, which has distance from true spiritual life. This fault does not allow the two of them to come together. On the contrary, it is creating mutual discord among them. The fault is that there are two extremely dangerous and utterly erroneous views held by Muslims. They consider jihad of the sword for the sake of religion as being an article of faith, and this obsession leads them to believe that by murdering an innocent person they have done a very good deed. This belief has been corrected to a large extent amongst majority of the Muslims in British India, and the hearts of thousands of Muslims have been cleansed by my efforts which span 22 to 23 years. However, there is no doubt that in some foreign countries these thoughts are still actively held. It is as if these people understood violence and compulsion to be the core and essence of Islam. However, this view is absolutely false. The Quran clearly commands not to raise the sword in order to spread Islam and that innate qualities of the religion should be presented and that others should be attracted through pious models. Do not think that in the early days of Islam, use of the sword was commanded because the sword was never wielded to spread religion. Quite the contrary, it was drawn in self-defense against enemy attacks or in order to establish peace. Compulsion in faith was never the objective. It is a pity that this fault still exists among wrongdoing Muslims. For their reformation, I have distributed an excess of 50,000 short and detailed books and leaflets in quantity throughout the country and abroad. I am hopeful that soon a time shall come when the Muslims will be cleared of this blemish. The other fault which exists within our Muslims people is that they await a militant Messiah and Mahdi, whom they presume will fill the world with blood. This notion is completely false. It is written in authentic books that neither shall the promised Messiah engage in war, nor shall he raise the sword. On the contrary, he will possess the essence and character of Esau, Jesus, on whom be peace in every respect. He shall be so imbued 
with his nature that he shall be as if he is exactly the like of him. These two faults are found in the present-day Muslims, due to which most of them hold rancor against other nations. However, God has sent me so that I will remove these faults. The title of Gadi or Hakam, which has been conferred upon me, is so that I may issue a verdict in this regard. In comparison to them, an error prevalent amongst the Christians as well is that God forbid they hold the word curse to be applicable to someone as holy and revered as the Messiah who has been called light in the Holy Gospel. They do not understand that lamb, cursing, and lanath, curse, is a cognate word in Hebrew and Arabic. It signifies that the heart of the cursed person being utterly rebellious, distant and separate from God, becomes as defiled and impure as the body is spoiled and ruined with leprosy. Experts in Arabic and Hebrew concur that one can only be called Malun or Lanathi, i.e. accursed, in the case when one's heart severs all ties of love, understanding and obedience to God, and becomes so subservient to Satan, as if to become the progeny of Satan. God becomes displeased with him, and he becomes weary of God. God becomes his enemy, and he becomes an enemy of God. This is why lying, i.e. accursed, is a term used for Satan. Therefore, to suggest such a name for the Messiah, on whom be peace, and to forge similarity between his pure and luminous heart, and God forbid the dark heart of Satan to assume about one, who according to them, i.e. the Christians, is from God, is an embodiment of light, who is from heaven, who is the door to knowledge, the pathway of divine understanding, and is the inheritor of God. That God forbid such a one become accursed, or in other words, he was rejected by God, became an enemy of God, his heart became darkened, he turned away from God, became blinded of divine understanding, became an inheritor of Satan, and became worthy of the label, which is specific to Satan, meaning the accursed. Is such a belief that upon hearing it, the heart crumbles, the body trembles. Did the heart of God's Messiah become as averse to God as the heart of Satan? Was the Holy Messiah of God ever confronted with a time when he became displeased with God and actually became an enemy of God? This is a grave mistake, a great disrespect. The heaven might well nigh burst, there it in short, the Muslim belief on jihad is but ill will towards mankind, while this doctrine of the Christians is ill will against God himself.
if it is possible that darkness may exist where there is light, then it is also possible that God forbid, at some point in time, the heart of the Messiah allowed for the lethal state of curse to enter it. If the salvation of humanity depends on such disrespect, then it is better that no one attains salvation, for it is better that all sinners die as opposed to declaring a bright and glorious person such as the Messiah as being one who fell into the darkness of ignorance and curse and into the pit of God's enmity. Hence, I am undertaking efforts to bring about a reformation in the belief of the Muslims as well as in the doctrine of the Christians. I am grateful that God the Exalted granted me success in both these objectives since I was accompanied by heavenly signs and divine miracles. I was not confronted with such difficulty in order to convince the Muslims, having witnessed wondrous and extraordinary signs of God. Thousands of Muslims accepted me. They abandoned the dangerous doctrines that were savagely held in their hearts. Those have joined my community have become sincere well-wishers of this government. I am very pleased that their fervent obedience is of the first order in British India. In order to remove this error of the Christians, God has helped me in such a way that I have no words to express my gratitude. In other words, it has been proven by many conclusive arguments and through solid reasoning that the Messiah, on whom be peace, did not die on the cross. On the contrary, God saved his innocent prophet from the cross. By the grace of God, the exalted, he was interred alive whilst in a state of swoon and not of death. He was emerged from the tomb alive according to his statement in the Gospel that his condition would be similar to that the prophet Eunice Jonah. His words in the Gospel are that he would show the miracle of prophet Eunice. Therefore, he exhibited the miracle of entering the tomb alive and emerging from it alive. These are the facts we discern from the Gospel. In addition to this, we have received the great glad tidings that it has been established through categorical arguments that the tomb of Esau, Jesus, on whom be peace, is situated in Srinagar, Kashmir. It has been proven that he fled the land of the Jews and arrived to Afghanistan through Nazibane. And for a period in time he settled at Gohinuman, after which he settled in Kashmir. He lived to the age of 120 years and died in Srinagar. His tomb is still present in the quarter Khanyar Srinagar. I have written a book entitled Masih Hindustan Me, Jesus in India, on this subject.
This is a great triumph that I have been granted, and I know that sooner or later this will result in two esteemed nations, the Muslims and the Christians, who have long been separated in becoming mutual and close friends. They shall bid farewell to many disputes and will come together in love and friendship. Since this is what has been decreed in heaven, and our British government has also become greatly drawn towards concord between nations as if it evidenced from various clauses of the sedition law, an underlying secret is that any preparation which takes place in the heavens by God the exalted is complemented by according thoughts that begin to develop in the heart of worldly governments as well. Thus, owing to the good intention of Her Majesty, God the Exalted has created means by which such unity may be forged between the two nations known as the Christians and Muslims and hereafter. They should not be considered as being too apart. Now, hereafter, no reasonable person will believe with respect the Messiah, on whom be peace, that God forbid, at any time his heart become imbued with the poisonous state of curse, because curse is the result of crucifixion. As such, being crucified is not proven. On the contrary, what is proven is that by virtue of the blessing of his prayer that were offered throughout the night in the garden, of Gethsemane, and according to the will of the angel who appeared. Footnote. It is not acceptable in any way, and the conscience of any learned person would not accept that while God the Exalted had firmly willed to crucify the Messiah, despite this his angel anxiously moved here and there to set him free, at times putting love of the Messiah in the heart of Pontius Pilate, making him say that he did not find any sin in Christ, and at times appearing in the dream of the wife of Pontius Pilate, saying that if Jesus Christ was crucified, misfortune would befall her. How strange is that an angel should have difference of opinion with God. In the dream of the wife of Pontius Pilate, to recommend saving the Messiah, on whom be peace, and as per the similitude given by the Messiah himself of Prophet Eunice Journal, surviving in the belly of the fish for three days as an illustration of his own outcome. God the Exalted saved him from the cross, and its result, which was curse, his distressed plea, Eli Eli Lama Sabfani, was heard by God. This is clear proof which makes the heart of every seeker after truth jump with joy. Undoubtedly, it is a fruit of blessings of Her Majesty, the Empress of India.
which has cleared the name of the Messiah, on whom be peace, from the unwarranted slander of approximately 1900 years. I do not consider it appropriate to further prolong this humble submission. I realize that I have not been able to fully convey the degree of enthusiasm I hold at heart to submit my sincerity, loyalty and gratefulness to the Empress of India. May her sovereignty endure. Helpless I end with the supplication that Allah the Exalted, who is the master of the heaven and the earth and endows a handsome reward for good deeds, may grant good recompense from heaven to this benefactress. The Empress of India, may her sovereignty endure. May such a grace be conferred upon her, which is not only limited to this world, rather bestows her true and eternal prosperity of the hereafter as well. May God keep her happy and furnish means which he may receive eternal happiness. May he command his angels to illuminate the heart of the blessed Queen, who is so gracious to humanity, with revelation which instantly descends upon the heart like lightning and enlightens the whole of it and brings about an extraordinary change. O oh Lord, keep our Empress of India forever happy in all respects, and may it be so that a higher power from you draws her to your everlasting light and enters her into an abode of eternal and everlasting tranquillity. For nothing is beyond you, everyone say. Amin. Submitted by the Humble One. Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, Guardian, District Gurdaspur, The Punjab, 20th August, 1899.